May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture is from Acts, the second chapter, uh, verses 42 to 46. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. And from 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 6-7, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful cheerful giver. Well, I want to begin uh, this sermon, which is part sermon, part testimony. And I'll begin it by quoting recent liturgist Charlie Thomas, who just recently said, God loves cheerful giver with relish. I do enjoy poking fun at this passage a bit and this season. And to be honest, out of my 11 or 12 years of ministry, I've never actually used this passage before, the second Corinthian passage of God loves a cheerful giver, even though it is the most typical and stereotypical stewardship launching passage. You can kind of picture it. In some ways, I don't even need to to say X, Y, and Z about the passage. God loves a cheerful giver. Therefore, give with generosity and a smile. Take out your checkbooks now. Add one extra zero. And feel the joy fill not only your hearts, but our treasurer's hearts as well. Okay, so maybe I'm exaggerating a bit here, but... That is, in part, the intended message of this passage, that giving with gratitude and joy is what God would love to see. And interestingly, social sciences actually confirm that this is true. When we give of ourselves, whether it is from our our wealth and money and resources or our time and talents and treasures, we actually do feel happier. We feel more connected to causes that we care about. It increases our gratitude. We become more joyous and cheerful. Scientifically proven scriptural wisdom. So what more is there to say in this sermon? Well, I do have an issue with the passage, which is to say that as true as this is, It's also not always that simple. 
I do know from personal experience that when I give and when I push to give a little bit more, I do feel happy and grateful that I've chosen to make that priority. But friends, as we all know, sometimes life happens. Bit of a personal example. When Laura and I first started out, we were on a starter minister's salary, and Laura was in grad school. And at the time, we had very low capacity to give, at least in terms of our wealth and money. We could volunteer a lot more. But we knew that we had a certain trajectory ahead of us. Laura would graduate, start a job, we would hopefully have a second salary coming in. And so we made the decision early on as a young couple to increase our giving every single year. And to do so with real intentionality and and a a sense that we are going to measure this, we are going to do this every year so that our generosity could grow as our family's capacity to give would grow. And certainly, we could keep up with that. Well, we did. And the good news, it was really easy early on because when you're starting giving very little and suddenly have a second salary come in, going from step one to two or even from step one to four is pretty darn easy. That long-term plan of ours worked well and faithfully and felt spiritually informed, and we kept it up for almost two full years of our lives. And then we were graciously pregnant with our firstborn daughter, Avery. And suddenly we found ourselves staring at three months of unpaid leave for my spouse, a pile of hospital bills, and the eventuality of the extreme an unsupported cost of daycare here in the U.S. And so for a couple years there, our progress, our goal, our plan halted, and our giving remained stagnant despite our ambitions and despite the fact that I serve as a congregation where part of my job is to stand before you all and encourage you to give generously and joyfully. Our giving remained stagnant, and I'll tell you what, that did not feel so good compared to the joy that we were experiencing. Now, in time, Laura got a promotion, her salary increased, we got a hold of our budget, and we once again were able to make a step forward, and then we had the grace of becoming pregnant again with our second daughter, Renee, And once again, we were back in that stage of a boatload of new expenses, and daycare for two kids is really a lot right now. And so our giving paused. In fact, I think it even tipped. Two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. And while it still feels good to give, and especially to organizations that we care about, I would be lying if I said that we don't also give sometimes with a sense of guilt or sadness, wishing that we are comfortable or courageous enough to give even more. We want to be ones who sow bountifully and thereby help to reap bounties of justice, compassion, peace, and equity in the world. We know that relative to most of the world and most of this country, we have so much. And yet some years it seems 
like there are more seeds to sow than others. Some years, it seems like our seeds will stretch far less, or that the needs are far greater around us, and that generosity and joy that we are authentically striving to feel even when we know our budget is tighter. It can be hard to feel. And if God does love a cheerful giver, but I find myself giving from a place of some guilt or sadness at times in a year where we do wish we could give more, does that mean that God does not love me or my giving? Of course not. We've done enough theological work here to know that that is not true. And what if, on the other hand, I'm giving from a place of fear or anxiety or anger? That would not be my natural inclination, but based on the number of political texts, emails, and robocalls that I receive this time of year, it is clear that fear-driven fundraising does seem to be a productive source of garnering donations, at least in the political world. If I give out of fear for the well-being of my neighbor, am I still spiritually off? Now, I've been in ministry just about long enough to realize that each of you also have lives and stories that come with ups and downs, seasons, shifts, and changes that echo some of what we are naturally going through as a young family with newborns. The truth is that many of us, if not all of us, find that there are seasons of relative abundance in our lives and also seasons of relative scarcity. Seasons that are influenced by our jobs, by our family situations, by retirement account balances that ebb and flow with the state of the world. And of course, this is true not only of our finances, but it is true of our time and our energy, our abilities. There are stages in our lives where we can give more. But that also means that there are stages of our lives when we can't. And wow, does it feel good when we can give more. So good that it can feel difficult in those seasons when we can't. That's my problem or issue with this passage. I have a hard time preaching it or even citing it, even if it is scientifically true that giving with gratitude increases our joy. I have a hard time of stating that from a pulpit when I know that some of us are in a down year or might have a hard time giving of our finances or of our time or of our energy. The problem with this passage and with everything that I have said up to this point is that while it is wonderfully personal, there is far too much weight placed on the individual or on any given year or circumstance. To state this another way, this passage alone fails to recognize what our passage from Acts makes gracefully clear, that we do not give or act or share alone. 
or at least that we don't have to do so. We can choose to give with others in the context of an intentional community that is striving to improve the well-being of all and friends when we give with others. Shockingly, we find that our gifts do not stand alone. I forgot I had props. <coughs> our gifts do not stand alone. Instead, they join in the wider flow of gifts from others who are also influenced by the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of life, others whose time or wealth or resources and energy are waxing and waning. And the beauty is that when we put that together, those painful steps back that I mentioned experiencing earlier, they tend to wash out in the aggregate, in the big communal pot that occurs when we give with others. One simple example, for a number of years, I was leading youth ministry and many different uh, mission trips, and every year we would look at, you know, prices are going up. Gosh, we got to painfully increase the price of this trip. I know it's going to be difficult. And one year, I finally decided, you know, why don't we just make this a sliding scale? And what we did for our message to the, to the congregation, to the families, was we set a price that we thought was the realistic price of the trip. Let's say it was $450. And we said that this is the price for our 10-day mission trip. And um, this reflects what, what we can budget, what we can achieve. And we recognize that that is a lot for what is a wonderful experience. And so if that is too much for you, we also have a reduced price. In fact, our prices are flexible. Just come talk to me and don't, be money, don't let money be a reason why you don't come on this trip. So we'd set a home-based price. We would set a lower tier price that had a dropout floor that would go all the way down to zero. And, and I think this is the important piece, we also said every year that if you can go above that 450 mark, if you can give more, please consider doing so, knowing that you can then help pay the way for another person. We made that shift, and every single year, it amazed me, two or three families would come and ask for support. And two or three families would come and tell me, privately, often to the side, hey, we've had a really good year, a really strong year. We can give more. How much should we give? And the families were often different. We always hit that mark together, in part because those who could give more at times would, and those who needed to give less, who needed to experience the grace of others could, and it all was made up in the circle of community. That is one of the powers of giving in the context of community. We receive grace for the ups and downs of our lives. But the real superpower, I'd like to argue, kicks in when we recognize that our gifts are not only 
joining in circles with others, but they are expanding, a lot like the microphone that Nora shared during uh, the time with children there. When we give with others, we have the capacity to look at this shared circle of giving and say, you know what? I will add to that cause. Will you join me? And when we do so, we often find more courage, more momentum, more generosity. We are called to give more when we know that our gifts are going to be amplified. It's why professional fundraisers always have those matching donations, or why NPR is always telling you that, hey, if you call in the next hour, we will unlock this match. It creates urgency, but it also creates momentum. They do that because it works, because it feels good to give with others and to know that your gift will be multiplied. And friends, that happens here every single year in wonderful, creative ways. We give with the ups and downs of our lives, and as we do so, we give with others, and suddenly the amounts do snowball and ripple into much greater impact. I want to give two short stories that highlight this, but I could probably pull a number from my bag. The first is uh, earlier this year, uh, somebody gave me a call. Um, I, I'll humbly refrain from mentioning their name, but some of you know the instigator. Somebody called me up when there were a number of Afghan uh, families who were being resettled here in the state of Minnesota, and this congregant asked if there was anything that we could do. Now this was just a couple months, maybe even just a few short weeks after wrapping up our community kitchen project that we asked for money from the congregation to support. And so we said, well, this is pressing, this is important, I think we should support it. And because one lay member came to me and said, hey, do you think we could do this? We formed a little project group that launched a mere, I believe, two-week special drive to raise funds from St. Luke to support Afghan refugees through a light. And within two weeks, we raised over $16,000 together of funds that have gone to a light that supported rehoming Afghan refugees that are funds that are probably now supporting Ukrainian families as well. That was not a planned campaign for our congregation that was one member who had an idea about how to respond to a need and who had the thought that likely, if we join with the wider circle, we could do even more. Another example of giving being amplified in community, long ago, I don't know when, Ed and Judy Shuck, late beloved members here in this congregation, decided to make St. Luke a part of their will. After they died, their family left a rather generous request to St. Luke. And we received that gift during the pandemic. And funds from that gift, after Judy and Ed's passing, went on to support not only the new Columbarium walkway, but those funds would go on to seed the funding that we would then match and exceed to build the new community kitchen. That was a $120,000 project, I believe, that we would not have embarked upon, I promise you, <laughs> if it were not for the fact 
that this gift of $40,000 starting from Judy was matched with a grant of $20,000 from the Presbytery and then, well, we set a goal for 60 ourselves and we raised 77. In doing so, that gift, which was committed long ago and then eventually delivered, it spurred us together to build a project that is now benefiting not only us and the generations to come, but our partners. It also caused us to exceed our fundraising goal and then have about sixteen or $17,000 of funds spill over into our community food shelves. That is the incredible power of gifts being amplified when they happen in the context of a community. Someone says, I've got an idea, I've got a hope, I've got a plan, I've got a dream. And maybe it's a, a tough year, and the pastor may feel uncertain about whether we can make this happen. But when we look around this room and find enough stories, enough lives circled together, we can trust that we can give courageously, boldly, even when times feel scarce or scary, because there's enough of us to journey together. So, as we do launch this year's stewardship campaign, consider this power of giving in community and this power to amplify, and know that if this is a year in which you have the capacity to give with strength, I urge you to make that strong gift with gratitude and generosity, and to do so knowing that your ability to give more is helping to amplify the collective capacity of this faith community. Likewise, if this is a year in which your capacity is lessened, I urge you to make the gift that matches your capacity and to do so with gratitude and generosity as well, knowing that you too are giving in the context of community and that your individual gift, exactly as it is, is also helping to amplify the reach of this community. I shared earlier that with newborns arriving and daycare, that this has been a harder year for our family to give, and yet we have taken part in our own diminished capacity each and every step of the way and have felt that surge of gratitude and accomplishment and impact, in some ways, hanging on to y'all's coattails <laughs> as we help to fund incredible needs and projects out in the world. Next year, Avery starts public kindergarten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we will be paying for daycare for one and anticipating the day that we can take another step two or three forward. We will be leaving a season of scarcity and entering a new season of abundance, bringing with it increased gifts and giving. And so there's this pearl of wisdom that comes with trusting in the capacity of the community. Because you can still celebrate with gratitude and generosity even when you can't give quite as much time or energy or resources because we all still get to be a part of the great,
big unfolding story. And I can trust that if I can't give as much this year, that some of you can. And then you can trust that if you cannot give as much next year, that I might be able to as well. And at least for me, that takes the pain, the regret, the remorse, the fear, the anxiety, that takes it off of the table because I know I am not doing this alone. I am giving with others and together with God, we've got this. So friends, rejoice, knowing that we are giving, advocating, serving, and sharing together. Each of the individual parts matter, of course, but none of them are alone. And together, they are amplified and doing amazing things in this world. And now to wrap up this sermon, I'm going to invite Lori Cocking forward to offer our first of a three-week series of stewardship moments. And I've got the feeling that she's going to share a moment of amplification as well. Lori. Thank you, Brennan. I obviously didn't set the order of this, and I would, <laughs> I would probably not have followed Brennan if I had known that I had something to do with this, but thank you. Um, so I have a few thoughts to share this morning about stewardship. And first of all, I'd like to talk about the definition of stewardship, which is the careful and responsible care of something entrusted to us. For example, our children, our church, our schools, and our earth. To sustain life, we must take care to protect nature. For example, trees provide shade from the sun and also supply us with oxygen. But the trees survive from the carbon dioxide that we exhale. This reciprocal relationship of care between humans and our environment is necessary for all life. The biggest threat to Earth and life itself is climate change. St. Luke has been a strong, consistent advocate for climate stewardship. Our grounds, our garden, our solar panel, panels, our energy audit, and other audit actions that have engaged almost everyone at St. Luke. When you look around St. Luke, it's not particularly fancy, and that's purposeful. That is who we are. Judy Gregg, Mary Malotke, Nancy Olmsted, and myself, with other members of St. Luke, have organized a multi-faith climate hub with climate activists in our community. Faith organizations include Excelsior United Methodist, Bet Shalom, Mount Calgary Lutheran, and Pax Christi. The hub works to organize climate events, climate education, and advocacy. It is so much better to be as inclusive as possible in this fight. There are so many people that are dedicated to this, and if we act in solidarity, we can make a lot of wonderful things happen. Most recently, the Hub hosted an electric vehicle event at Hopkins High School. Over 100 people attended this event and expressed their support for electric vehicles. It was a party like none other. I mean, people were so inspired that a hundred people came because they were interested in electric cars. 
The Hub meets once a, once a month, and all of you are welcome to join us. We generally meet via Zoom, so it's not, it's not difficult. St. Luke, in this hub, is recognized as the leader in climate stewardship. We're pretty much, as Mary can affirm, recognized as the leader in the community, St. Luke. Not just the members of that hub, but St. Luke. People look to St. Luke because they think St. Luke is the place where very important things are happening. So today, stewardship, the caring of all things entrusted to us, I mean, all things entrusted to us are stewardship, and it's core to St. Luke. So today is Stewardship Sunday, and I hope you will offer your financial support for St. Luke's continued stewardship in all of our areas, not just climate. We have stewardship going on all over. Um, and I, it's, the list is too long, but you know about all the organizations that we help fund. And these organizations, I believe, have been entrusted to our care, and I hope that you will join us in continued stewardship. Thank you. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.